Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Metabolism and Menopause podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I am your host and CEO of Vitality OET. We are a women's health, nutrition, and fitness company that focuses predominantly on women's hormones, particularly once they start going through perimenopause and menopause. We know that so many things happen in this time of your life, like hot flashes, night sweats, irritability, brain fog, and of course, that lovely menopause belly that seems to come out of absolutely nowhere. So you try to go on a low calorie diet, you start cutting your carbs, you start doing a ton of exercise, and nothing seems to work. In fact, it just seems to get worse. But we know now that your body is inherently different than what it used to be like due to these hormonal changes. So our goal is to help you understand what's actually going on in your body so that you can live a life full of vitality, finally reach those health and fitness goals and feel at home in your body again. So today I have the wonderful coach Hannah. We are going to be talking all about the gallbladder. We know that the gallbladders get taken out all of the time. It's actually insane how often that happens. Um, There's tons of misinformation and like fear mongering around like dietary fat. Should you have it? Should you not have it? We don't really understand what a gallbladder is. Do we need it? It gets removed. Is that a problem? Um, And just really understanding like the importance of dietary fats and gallbladder for your overall health, Um, specifically your digestive system. We know that as you're going through perimenopause and menopause, all of a sudden we start having like IBS type symptoms. We start having a ton of bloating, sensitivities that we never used to have. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. Um, And then if you don't have a gallbladder, we're also going to cover that. So if you've already had it removed, do not worry. You're not going to be left out in this episode. And then, of course, how to support a healthy gallbladder and how to support yourself if you do not have one. So to start it off, what I wanted to do is first discuss the myths that you can eat a low-fat diet and feel and look your best. Um, Because realistically, that's just not true. Eating a low-fat diet can actually cause more harm than good. Um, especially once we're going through perimenopause and menopause. And we'll get why into that a little bit later. Um, But there are times when having lower fat diets are not going to be very beneficial for you. But also necessary long term, low fat diets can cause even more trouble for your body. So I know we always talk about eating your carbs, eating your carbs, but you do have to have a minimum fat intake as well. So it's all about balance and including everything in your diet or not cutting out unnecessary things. And one of the sparks for the trend of low-fat diets was to prevent cardiovascular disease. But there are way more things to consider in life than just that one single factor. Um, And like, I know everyone's like, oh, cholesterol and heart disease and high blood pressure and all this stuff. But there are so many other things that can contribute to that, that it's not just this one vilified thing, which is insane. So Hannah, what about high-fat diets? We're talking about there's issues with low-fat diets. What about high-fat diets? Yeah. So eating a diet too high in fats, primarily saturated fats can lead to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke, but fat consumption alone is not the only culprit, which is where things get lost in translation. Most people understand eat lower fats so you can avoid these things, but what else can lead to cardiovascular disease and stroke? It's the combination of a high saturated fat consumption along with other lifestyle factors, including, but definitely not limited to, smoking, drinking alcohol, obesity, lack of movement, and processed food consumption. So there are definitely other things that factor in as well, but those are some of the most common ones that will help you achieve 
getting cardiovascular disease. So if you don't want that, those are some things that you can avoid. So why should we pay attention to how much fat we do consume and what kind of fats? So not only do fats make food far more enjoyable to eat, but they assist in balancing our blood sugars, providing us energy, uh, helping our body to produce hormones, transporting nutrients throughout our entire body and into cells, and the list honestly goes so far on. Life without fats is also a life lacking in flavor. If you've ever cooked something and feel like it needs more flavor, you can likely add some olive oil or butter and a little bit of salt and all of your problems will be solved. (laughs) So eating a low fat diet is going to inhibit healthy communication of leptin and ghrelin, which which are our hunger and satiety hormones. And if you are somebody who has ever struggled with your weight, You don't want to inhibit those hormones because they're so essential in maintaining a healthy weight. Low-fat diets can also lead to malabsorption of vitamins and minerals, not just fats. Uh, Under-consuming fats can also lead to having low energy, fatigue, lots of brain fog, poor memory, and this is all because fats are vital for our brain health. So you'll see lots of symptoms surrounding your brain, your memory, things like that if you are consuming too low of fats or not absorbing enough fats. So it's important to know that fat consumption is not only important, but vital to the health of your brain, your hormones, your entire body. And consuming quality fat sources is definitely going to help lead you to a happier and healthier body. So Steph, why does it even matter that we can actually break down and absorb fats? Yeah, so we talked about consuming fat is important, like for tons of reasons, but then we also have to be able to break it down and to absorb it. So first and foremost, our primary cycle of regulating energy involves making, breaking, storing, and mobilizing fats. So to keep it simple, when we eat fat, some's going to get used for energy, some's going to get stored in our cells for later, and some exits as waste. More The more, sorry, the stored fat is used when new material for energy so like recent food or drinks is consumed, is burned through, and lipases start to break down the stored fats. So that's going to allow the mitochondria, so those powerhouses of the cell that we've all learned in like Bio30, um, they start to create ATP, which is energy for us. That's what we like to use for energy. So if you've ever looked at somebody and thought that their skin was glowing and their hair was so nice and so shiny and their eyes are bright and they just look so good, these are just a few things that that fats are actually necessary for in the human body. So additionally, fats are also necessary for joint health, your brain health, hormone production, super important. If you're not having adequate fats, you can't produce hormones. We know this is already an issue during perimenopause and menopause, so we need to have adequate fats in our diet important for nutrient transportation, vitamin absorption. So it's only certain vitamins that can only be absorbed when there's fat present, helps with organ protection. And honestly, the list just keeps going on and on and on. There's so many benefits, um, but we have to be able to actually absorb and break down those fats in order to get those benefits. So not just eating them, everything else has to be working properly as well. So there are fats that we consume in our diet that the body cannot make on its own. And these are called essential fatty acids. That word has probably been thrown around before. You've probably heard it. Um, And we need these essential fatty acids, omega-3s and omega-6s, for optimal health. 
So consuming and, of course, being able to break down and absorb those fats has been shown to reduce cardiovascular morbidity. So actually improve your cardiovascular um, system. You're going to have a lower risk of developing those cardiovascular diseases. Actually helps improve your vision, which like I know a lot of us struggle with. I am so blind. It's insane. Um, I'm going to blame screens for that one, though. Um, And brain health. It helps prevent neurological disorders. It helps with diabetes risk. It reduces your risk of hypertension, so high blood pressure, um, arthritis, and so many more things. So it's really important. Like omega-3s, for example, are so great for anti-inflammation, which we know we already struggle with with perimenopause and menopause when those estrogen levels go down. So it's important to make sure we're getting these proper ratios of fat in our diet. So clearly there are many benefits when it comes to consuming adequate amounts of these essential fatty acids, but consuming is only half of the battle like we already like talked about a bit. We need to be able to absorb them properly so that we can use them. And this is where the gallbladder really comes into play as well as bile production. They are so, so important for this entire process. We talked about there are certain vitamins that you can only absorb with fat, and this is your vitamins A, D, E, and K, and they get stored in fatty tissue in the body, and without being able to absorb and break down fats in the digestive process, you are also going to have a really hard time maintaining adequate and healthy levels of these vitamins. So I've talked to so many people who are like, oh, like my vitamin D is always so low, I always so struggle so, so much, and it's like, okay, so A, you're probably not getting enough of it in the first place. But B, you might be taking supplements without fat and your body's not able to break down fat. So there's multiple things that can be affecting this. It's not just you're not getting enough of it. So Hannah, we talked about the gallbladder. Let's really get into it. What is it? Why does it matter? How does it help with fat breakdown and absorption? Why do we need it? Because again, it seems like everyone I talk to, like so many women in our program alone, really have had like a ton of their, like so many people have their gallbladder removed. It's crazy. So Why do we even have it? Why is it necessary? Why do we just take it out all the time? Yeah, it's honestly insane how many people have had their gallbladders removed. I've worked with clients where like a year later, I find out that they have no gallbladder. I'm like, you didn't think to tell me this when we were talking about your medical history? Like, that's important. But doctors are like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can live life without a gallbladder. Like, I remember growing up hearing people be like, I don't know why we have gallbladders. We don't need them. And now I know, yes, they're so important. You can live without one, but it's much better to live with one. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what the heck it does, because if anyone is like you and I, they probably are not sure. So first and foremost, the gallbladder is an accessory digestive organ. So we know the big major organs in digestion, small intestine, large intestine, stomach, but we've got some accessory organs as well. And the gallbladder is one. It's connected on one end to our liver and on the other end to a small intestine. And what happens here is the liver will produce bile. And from the end that is connected to the liver, bile goes into the gallbladder. And then the gallbladder is that storage tank for the bile until it's needed in digestion. I like to call it this funky little thing with great power in helping us to have healthy bowel movements, absorb nutrients, particularly fats and fat-soluble vitamins like we were talking about, and to live a life, live a life that is happy and healthy, and of course, full of vitality. So why the heck do we need a gallbladder? In short, we need it to help us break down those fats in the digestive process. The liver is going to produce bile salts, and the bile is then going to get stored in our gallbladder, like I mentioned, 
But the job of the gallbladder is to release a precise amount of bile into the small intestine based specifically on the amount of fats that you have consumed. So your mouth signals to the rest of your body or to your brain rather, how much bile needs to be released from your gallbladder to digest the fats that have passed through your mouth. It's really fascinating. So what happens then after the bile is released from the gallbladder is that it aids in the emulsification, so the breaking down of fats. So think about taking bigger fat molecules, because usually there are a bunch of them all stuck together, and breaking them apart into smaller ones. So eventually, lipases, which are one form of digestive enzyme that we have in our body, can do its particular job of breaking those down into even smaller molecules, which are then eventually going to be able to be absorbed and utilized by our body. So another job that the bile in our body does is neutralizing the highly acidic material that enters our small intestine from our stomach. This material is called chyme. It is very important that it's acidic because if it is not properly acidic, you're going to have a really hard time digesting foods. Um, and we don't want that to happen. But once it passes through the stomach, we need to neutralize it. And that's part of what bile does. So another major function of bile is the stimulation of what is called the MMC or migrating motor complex. And the migrating motor complex is the thing that is responsible for moving food through the digestive tract. We need it and we need it to be signaled properly. Otherwise food is, it's going to get stuck. It's just not going to move through you. And we need food to move through us for many reasons. And so we talked about how the liver is connected to the gallbladder. So the liver is largely responsible for detoxing our body. And part of this process of detoxing is that toxins are going to bind to bile in order to be removed from the body. So without a gallbladder, this process becomes more difficult. Again, the gallbladder is important. <laughs> so Another responsibility of bile in our body is removing cholesterol from the body as well. And so if bile production is inhibited in any way or um, the gallbladder is not there to release enough of the bile, cholesterol becomes less water soluble and can then build up in our biliary systems, which can cause gallstones to form. If you don't have a gallbladder in the, the stones will form in your biliary ducts. If you do have a gallbladder, they can form in the ducts or in your gallbladder. Either way, we want to avoid them. So Steph, I will let you talk about biliary dysfunction and factors influencing that. Yeah. So I think some important things to note that Hannah mentioned is like, you'll notice that like, it's not going to neutralize the stuff coming out of your stomach into your intestine, which is not great. It's highly acidic. So you can imagine that's not very good for our gut health and our lining. It's going to slow down the movement of like digestion if we're not getting enough bile in there as well, which is really important. We're not able to break things down and get it out of our body. So now we have stuff that we can't detox and get out. So then we have like more things building up in there. It's not gonna be able to remove cholesterol, which is going to cause cholesterol to come up. So you can tell this is very important. So there's a handful of ways that our gallbladder can let us down, but there are some really important factors to note that can lead to these kinds of dysfunctions if things aren't working properly. So some of these factors are women are far more likely to experience gallstones and other gallbladders dysfunction. 
awesome. So we've already talked about how we're at higher risk of like having hypothyroidism. We're already at a higher risk of like so like losing our like bone density as we go through perimenopause and menopause, losing muscle mass. It's hard to put on muscle mass. We have a lower stress tolerance. And now you've also learned that you are more likely to develop gallbladder issues. Freaking awesome. <laughs> We're just always a bearer of good news, I feel. <laughs> it's just great to be us, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then age. Over one in four women 60 years and older is going to experience gallstones. 25% of women that are over 60 years old. That's not fun. Um, in both men and women, the occurrence of gallstones formation is going to increase yearly. So the older you get, the more likely it's going to happen, which again, awesome. <laughs> it's, it's a great process getting older and dealing with all these things and being a woman. Um, then there's weight. Obesity increases the likelihood of gallbladder dysfunction, especially in women. Estrogen, super important, has been shown to increase bile cholesterol and decrease gallbladder contractions. So women of reproductive age or taking estrogen-containing contraceptives are unfortunately have a two-time increase in gallstone, gallstone formation compared to males. So yippee <laughs> again. And then, of course, we have chronic illnesses that lead to neuropathy like diabetes, for example. So all these things can contribute. Unfortunately, gallbladder dysfunction is incredibly common. That doesn't mean it's normal. It's very common. Those are two very different things that we need to differentiate between. 10 to 20% of the world's population will develop gallstones at some point in their life. Though on a positive note, only 80% are symptomatic. So only 20% of, of those people are going to feel symptoms. 80% are asymptomatic, which is great. However, for the 20% who do experience symptoms, many will end up having their gallbladder removed. This is called a call. call Hannah, help me. I'm so bad. <laughs> I'm not um, able to say it. It's okay because I literally had to play it over and over on Google yesterday to make sure I had it right. Was, so call a cystectomy. Yeah. So we're just going to say taking your gallbladder out. That's yeah, all that's, we're going to go with. That's the easiest way to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to butcher it every time. So forms of gallbladder dysfunction, there's a few different kinds. So the first is gallstones, which are going to lead to inflammation and edema of the gallbladder, preventing proper flow of bile. So this is, again, we got to make sure we're paying attention to inflammation in our body. Stress is going to be a huge thing for this. Um, also clogged ducts. So stones can form or be pushed into the bilary ducts, blocking bile from actually entering the gallbladder or form and exiting the gallbladder into the small intestine. So it can get blocked at either end, so it can't get into the gallbladder or it can't get into the intestine. And then there's bilary stasis, which is the thickening of the bile. So Hannah, what are some signs that people can start looking for that could potentially point them towards gallbladder dysfunction? Because then once people are more aware of it, they can start doing something about it, right? So what are some signs and symptoms that they can like start watching out for? Yeah, for sure. And these are things that I feel like more people need to know because I don't know, like random pains in your stomachs, people are like, oh, is it in the right, the lower right side? Like it's your appendix, but like nobody knows what pain in the right upper abdomen that can go around your waist to mid back or even up to your scapulas. And that is a sign of gallbladder dysfunction. Um, so to repeat that, cause I know I said a little funky right upper side of your abdomen and the, that pain can kind of radiate around to your mid back and kind of go up into your shoulder blade area as well. Um, some other signs are trouble digesting or having pain from consuming fatty foods or greasy foods. 
feeling nauseous or just generally bad after meals that contain a decent amount of fat. So this could even be like having a hamburger that is made. Typically burgers are like 80, 20, um, beef, um, bloating and flatulence typically worsened after meals, um, clay colored stools and dark urine. Um, and then there are also some common gut troubles that can lead to dysfunction with the gallbladder as well. Um, so these are things like leaky gut, dysbiosis, GERD, and generally IBS. And all these can lead to malabsorption of fat, pH imbalances, like we mentioned, the necessary for acidity in our stomach. Um, but then, you know, balancing that out in our small intestine. Um, can also lead to inflammation and other GI issues, which then have the potential to inhibit bile production. So many of those issues will also cause weight loss resistance. So supporting a healthy gut is essential for weight loss, weight maintenance, and a generally happy life. Because I swear, if you poop every day, you're much happier than if you poop every three days or even oh, yeah. every other day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. So I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening who are like, oh, yep, check, 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 got all these things. What the hell do I do now? So how should they approach getting help from a doctor staff? Yeah. So if you think that this could be an issue, especially if you're having a lot of those symptoms of like the pain after eating certain foods and stuff, it's like a pretty big sign. Um, you can go and ask to get these blood markers tested. So alkaline phosphates, a total protein, uh, Billy Rubin, you want the total number, LDH, AST, ALT, GGT. I'm going to put these in the show notes for you as well. So you guys can like, um, have that list there for you. Um, and if any of those markers are high, it's a sign of liver, biliary, gallbladder dysfunction in some way, shape or form. Then you can look at your triglycerides. If they're low, um, that's possible that it's also a liver and biliary dysfunction. Um, and then your cholesterol, so the total, if it's high, can be a sign of fatty liver or biliary stasis. So that's the thickening of bile. And if it's low, it can be a sign of liver or biliary dysfunction. Um, so those are tests that can really help you out a ton. Then you can also ask for an ultrasound. So that will be in the upper right area of the abdomen, and it can show if there's a thickening of the gallbladder walls. You can also do a urine test for bilirubin. Um, and in some cases, an EKG can be considered. But going through the blood testing and ultrasound are the least invasive invasive, and most common. Um, and like, so that's kind of how I'd, I would approach it. We'll put that in the show notes for you guys again so that you can like have that list there for you. Um, and okay, so I know a lot of our women, a lot of women just in our program alone have had their gallbladder removed. So what happens if that's already occurred? Like a lot of people are like, uh, I don't have one. Does this even apply to me? Yes. So what, what can we do for those women that have already had their gallbladder taken out? Yeah. So it definitely does matter. Um, but I also want to add that for the markers, I can also add to our show notes, like um, functional ranges as opposed to like normal, quote unquote, normal ranges, because they're not for the healthy population only there for like an entire population. So I'll get those functional ranges in there for you guys too. Um, so you can compare as well as whatever your doctors say. Um, so yeah, many of you listening have had yours removed or you have a family history of gallbladder dysfunction or removal, um, or you know people who have had them removed and maybe you, you still have yours and you just have no idea what the gallbladder is. But let's talk about what to do if you've already had it removed. So 
a lot of people will tell me that their doctors, their GI doctors say that there's nothing special to do after you have it removed and that there's nothing to worry about. Just eat a low fat diet for the rest of your life. You'll avoid symptoms. Uh, There's nothing special. You don't need your gallbladder, yada, yada. And unfortunately, all of these things can cause more harm to your body and specifically your digestive tract. So when the gallbladder is removed, instead of having bile squeezed into the small intestine in appropriate amounts in order to break down those fats that we consume, there's one of two options. There's a constant slow drip that will make it very difficult to break down or emulsify fats from a larger meal. But what is the other option, Steph? Yeah, or it can be true that there is a large rush of bile that flows into the small intestine instead of that slow drip causing hypermotility so or too much movement all at once in the digestive tract. So you can have like one extreme to the other. And this can lead to things like diarrhea, um, as well as malabsorption of nutrients. So like if you're someone who's constantly going and always having issues, this can actually be a huge problem. And we spoke a little bit earlier about how MMC, so like the ability to stimulate the release of bile, so to help like move things along your digestive tract, this can cause too much bile to be released, which is why there's hypermobility. Things just like rush through your body incredibly quickly, which is not fun. We don't want to live our life constantly looking for a bathroom all the time. That's the worst. Um, On the other hand, if there's a constant slow drip, then that contractility is very slow, which makes it a lot harder to digest and absorb those nutrients from food because it's not getting broken down. Um, And it can be so slow that it can actually come to a standstill, which can lead to so many gut health issues like constipation, dysbiosis, you can have bacterial overgrowth in your gut, um, intestinal permeability, so that's that leaky gut that I've talked about in the past. You can have malabsorption, like you can't absorb nutrients, then you're actually finding that you're like taking all these supplements and doing all these things, but like levels are still super low. So that can be an issue as well. And then in general, like systemic inflammation, which we know when we're chronically inflamed, that's going to negatively affect our blood sugars. It's going to lead to fat storage and fat accumulation. Our body's not going to function properly. And these are already things that we start to struggle with during perimenopause and menopause. So this just like amplifies that so much more or like it didn't seem that bad. And then you hit perimenopause and it got worse. That's why they kind of like cause one to be worse. So it needs to be treated. So remember how we also mentioned toxins needing bile to bind to it so it can get out of our body? Well, without a gallbladder um, or this unknown drip or dumping of bile into our small intestine, we cannot ensure that toxins are being eliminated. So this can cause a re-release of these toxins back into our bowels. So for example, um, like we've talked about, like with estrogen dominance, for example, sometimes we're not eliminating enough or things aren't um, getting out of your body soon enough or it's not broken down properly. It just gets reabsorbed into your body again. So it's not that you have a production issue. It's that you have an, like getting it out of your body issue. So then it just keeps getting reabsorbed, causing a ton of issues, which again, we do not want. So Essential fatty acids, omega-3s and 6s, as well as fat-soluble vitamins, your A, D, E, and K, have a much more difficult time getting absorbed if this is happening, even if we're getting them through our supplements. So we're not going to be absorbing them if there's not enough bile. So that sounds like a terrible time. And anyone who's gotten their gallbladder taken out or is dealing with the stuff is like, sweet, so I'm screwed. You just make it, you're making my day so much better and better. You're always the bearer of bad news stuff. 
So Hannah, how can we support a healthy gallbladder? Even if it's been removed, what can we do to help with this so that you're not dealing with all these terrible side effects and issues and weight loss resistance and bloating and diarrhea or constipation and all these things that just suck, let's be honest. Yeah, honestly, none of these things sound pleasant. And I'm sure that those of you who have had your gallbladder removed have experienced at least one of these issues, if not all of them. And we can all agree that none of them sound fun. And those of you who have experienced them know that they are in fact miserable. So how can we support both a healthy gallbladder and also healthy bile production if you do not have a gallbladder? So um, if you don't have a gallbladder, I also just want to say that these are things that should and realistically can be done if you have had that gallbladder removed. So number one is going to be consuming more bile supporting foods. So bitter foods stimulate the liver to create bile, which is then going to lead the gallbladder to excrete bile and regularly flushing our gallbladder of bile is going to help prevent gallstones. So what are some of these bitter foods that can help? Jerusalem artichokes or sunchokes. Um, I know they have some other names as well. Um, they're kind of like potatoes, like but kind of with a nuttier flavor. I think they're delicious. Those are an example. Um, lemon juice, actually. So I'm here drinking some lemon water. Even lemon water can help with that uh, bile production. Celery, ginger, dandelion root. So you can buy tea that has dandelion root if you don't know how to cook with it. Um, milk thistle, arugula or rocket. I don't know what you guys call it. Um, we call it arugula. <laughs> Turmeric, cinnamon, dark chocolate, coffee apples and extra virgin olive oil are just some examples. So throughout that list, you can see that there are varieties of like sweet and savory places where you can intertwine these foods. But the importance is that they are the bitter foods that will create this secretion of bile. So hold on, you guys call arugula rocket? No, no, no. We call it arugula. Who calls it rocket? People in the UK. Oh, I was like, this is not a Canadian thing. We call it yeah. arugula. Yeah, this is we not one arugula. Me. <laughs> I wasn't sure what you guys called it. because See, and I then mean, you guys, we call rockets those candies. What do you guys call them again? Smarties. I actually went to oh. the mechanic this morning and I saw them. And every time I'm at the mechanic, I'm like, them Canadians call those rockets. Because <laughs> <laughs> Smarties are like the chocolates here. Yeah, Every time, this is like such a theme. Like, Every time the coaches all get together, because like I'm Canadian, Carianna is Canadian, um, our sales person and like customer service um, onboarding specialist, she's Canadian. Everybody else in our company is American. So whenever we get together, <laughs> we're like talking. And Australian. Yep. Oh, yeah. And we have Nicole, Australian. So like when we get all together and we're talking, it's so funny how we just like pause and look at each other sometimes or like they're like, what are you talking about? Like we call like in winter, like the toques, like you guys call them beanies, I think. We call them, no, it's a toque. (laughs) So like we get into arguments about this stuff all of the time. Same in our group chat. It's hilarious. So side note, I just had to be like, who is calling arugula rocket? That's insane. Yeah. and (laughs) But now I know. That's that's the way that it is on menus. I remember the first time I saw it, I was in Italy and I was like, what is rocket? Like everything's in Italian, but then I just see the word rocket. I was like, okay, what is this? I went after ordering enough salads that had rocket. I was like, oh, it's arugula. 
Okay. Okay. Well, now, now I know. Now I know. Okay. You know. Good. <laughs> Continue on with your yes. list of wonderful foods. I just had to pause because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So those are the bitter bile supporting foods that we can have. Um, but there are some bile supporting supplements as well. So you can always supplement with bile building blocks. So that would be your B6, glycine, and taurine. Um, you can also take bile salts as a supplement. Um, and then if you have your gallbladder removed, I would 1000% recommend every single day of your life before every single meal that you have taking an ox bile supplement. Um, my suggestion to start is going to be an allergy. It's called allergy research group. And I like theirs to start because it's a lower milligram dosage um, which will help you to build up. It starts at 250 as opposed to most others that are 500 or a thousand. Um, so start lower, build your way up. And then you can find whatever supplement brand do you prefer after that? Um, but I would not recommend like if someone is like, yeah, I'm going to try this to support my gallbladder. If you feel worse after taking it for three days consistently, stop taking it. Either you're taking too much of it all at once and your body is not adjusted to it, or your body is having some sort of response to it. And we don't want to continue making you feel bad. Um, but for most people, if not all people who I have ever spoken to that don't have a gallbladder, the ox bile supplementation before their meals makes a massive difference in digestion, decreasing bloating, regularity of bowel movements, um, nutrient absorption. So they like feel a difference when they look at their self in a mirror. They're like, oh my God, like I look like I'm alive. Like my skin doesn't look as pale. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, that is the number one thing that I'm going to recommend you do. Um, so how do you work up into this dose that I was talking about? You're going to start with one pill once a day, 15 minutes before just one meal. And then over the next few days, you're going to work up to one pill before each of your meals. Um, and then whatever the dose is on the bottle, you can work up to that total. Um, so if you start with the 250 milligrams, you may end up taking four pills before each meal over time, but keep in mind, this is going to take you a few weeks. Um, and you'll likely land somewhere between that 500 and 1000 milligram mark, um, to notice like the best improved digestion, um, especially with those higher fat meals. So it's important to build that dose up because our bodies comfortable spot is going to be different for each of us. And if you dive like headfirst into that 500 or a thousand milligrams, it can cause too much bile to be released because you're just, you're not adjusted to it. That doesn't mean it's too much down the road. It just means that right now your body needs some time to get adjusted to it. So we've already talked about the troubles that can come from like having that major release of bile. We don't want that to happen. We don't want you to just be rushing to a bathroom to find it. So let's, let's work our way up slowly. Let's have a little patience here. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the number one thing that I would recommend, um, specifically in regards to supplementation, if you've had your gallbladder removed. So Steph, I know you've got some other suggestions, so lay them on us. Yeah. So I think almost all of our clients that don't have a gallbladder in our program are on Oxbile and it's been phenomenal. Um, like people are, Signif significantly happier. Again, like Hannah said, like skin and hair and things look 
better because you're actually able to absorb and break down things to like get all the nutrients that you need. Um, and then like, again, less bloating, better bowel movements, like that's a win all the way around. Um, okay. So next thing is supporting your detox pathways. The world we live in is full of toxins. Let's face it, something what we can discuss in length at a different time because it's everywhere. Um, but there are some daily actions and other ways to support your body in the process of detoxing. So our body naturally does this, but just to help support it, do a better job to help you with all this is really important. So the first one I want to touch on is fiber. Insoluble fiber in particular will really help bind to waste and eliminate toxins through bowel movements. So again, like I said, if you aren't pooping on a regular basis, you aren't getting rid of like extra hormones, extra toxins. So if you're only going to the bathroom like every other day, every three days, every four days, I know people who've only pooped like once a week. I'm like, are you joking? so brutal. Like, A, you don't feel good. Um, Like, that's not good. And you're just all these toxins just stay in your body for longer, which is not good. It's going to cause more inflammation, more bloating, and we do not want that. Insoluble fiber is a bile acid sequestrant, which means it helps bile to exit the body sooner than its typical 14 to 17 circulations through the body. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather get those toxins out sooner than letting them linger and just build up and cause inflammation and you just don't feel good. So some great options for this are cauliflower. I gave that to our goats today because half of the bag froze in the freezer um, or in the fridge the other day. So the like half the bag was kind of like just it's just not a good situation. So the goaties got some cauliflower to help them with their toxins today. Um, green peas are also helpful. Cilantro. I know some people say it tastes like soap. Some take it or leave it. But if you like it, toss more on there. Um, All kinds of greens, sweet potato, carrots are great, apples, oranges, pears, berries, all delicious, all super good for you. It's going to help get those toxins out of there, which is great. The next one is drink half your body weight in in ounces of water. So for example, I'm sitting at about like 141 pounds right now. So that's about like 70-ish ounces of water that I would be drinking in a day. So along with binding to bile and exiting through bowel movements, toxins also get out of our body through urine. So making sure that we're going to the bathroom regularly is really important. If you're dehydrated, again, things are just sitting in your body for longer. So this is important to make sure that you're drinking enough fluids during your day. Sweating regularly. Your skin is yet another way to get rid of things out of your body. So exercising, saunas, steam rooms, Epsom salt baths, Um, and a double whammy there is that the bath will make you sweat and the Epsom salts pull toxins out of your body, which is like a win-win. Plus it's relaxing and great for some people who like baths. For me, I always find like I'm wasting my time. It takes too long to fill the bathtub. Then I get bored sitting there. I get hot and uncomfortable and I feel like I'm stewing in my own filth. So for me, bath is like not an option. Other people love it and swear by it. And people are like, Steph, how filthy are you that you're like laying in your own filth? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't like it. So for me, (laughs) <laughs> not a fan of baths, but if you like them and you find them relaxing, awesome. Toss some Epsom salts in there and double benefit for you. And then the other one is avoiding alcohol more often than not. So this is something that has done wonders for me. Oh my goodness. Um, alcohol is a toxin. It is. Um, yes, it can be delicious. Yes, it can make you get silly and have a good time sometimes. Um, I will be drinking at my wedding this weekend. Um, not a ton because it's just not worth it the next day <laughs> to feel like garbage. And we're having a brunch and everyone over and uh, the next day and I don't want to feel like garbage. So 
Again, alcohol is a toxin. It's very important to note on this. Um, We do have a past episode on alcohol, so you can go listen to that one, which goes through all the ins and outs of it, which is super important. But it's important to note that it causes your liver to work so hard. Oh my goodness. Your liver goes into complete and total overdrive. Alcohol consumption, especially frequent consumption, um, as little as like three days or three drinks per week. Um, and so like if you're thinking of like how you spread that out and stuff, that has negative consequences for women, particularly during perimenopause and menopause because we're so sensitive to it now. Um, think about like the hot flashes you typically get. Sleep isn't going to be as good. More fluid retention, all these things. Um, but it's going to lead to eventual fatty liver, which is not good. You don't want that. Even frequent consumption in small doses can lead to fatty liver, which is going to make it a lot harder for our body to detox. It actually inhibits it, putting far more stress on the liver, far more stress on the gallbladder. And again, we can't get rid of stuff. And then if you're pairing that with like poor bowel movements and stress and all those things, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And everyone hates being bloated. Everybody hates it. So like this is one thing that like if you're having your fiber, having your water, and avoiding alcohol more often than not, it is going to do wonders for you. You're going to feel amazing and you're going to look great. And like, again, nobody likes as they go throughout the day and their pants get tighter and tighter. Like that's not a good time. Um, So enough about that, Hannah. I know you have more. We have so many tips here, like so many options. So I'll let you go through a few more here. Yeah. I also just want to touch on the alcohol thing because I was convinced for the longest time that like alcohol, like not drinking alcohol wouldn't actually make that big of a difference for me. And then not this past October, but the one before that, so I think it's 2021, I went 32 days without drinking any alcohol at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much more energy. I have so much more focus to get things done. Like I feel stronger. And so like that was a big change for me where I stopped drinking as frequent. I still drink. Yesterday I had three beers. It was the 4th of July. I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to have some beers and I'm going to have some pizza. And Heck today, yeah, I love that. <laughs> and today I feel it. I can <laughs> genuinely feel that I had three beers yesterday. Whereas before, I like especially in college, became normal. I drank so much that I didn't know what it was like to feel actually energized and see my body function well. And so I just want to like give a personal, a second personal anecdote here that like our bodies function so much better when we drink far less frequently. That's not to say you have to give it up forever. Some people, yes, like you don't ever need alcohol again. And if that's you, like, great. But some of us are going to want to drink some alcohol and that's okay. It's just important to know the effects it has on us. Um, so yes, I do have some more detoxing tips and techniques. Um, A lot of them are things that I have done personally as well. So next on the list is dry brushing and lymphatic drainage massages. Again, things that I thought were phony, like whatever. And then I started to do them. And I was like, oh my goodness, I feel better. Like my skin looks better. My my face is less puffy. Um, I mean, dry brushing is great because you get all the dead skin off your body, which like who doesn't love to be nice and soft, but, um, both of these things, dry brushing and lymphatic drainage massages are things that you can look up how to do on YouTube. Dry brushes are very inexpensive. Um, and you can even do a lymphatic drainage massage with just like your knuckles and your 
thumbs and the sides of your hands, or you can get tools for them um, if you have the finances or you want to. Um, so just look those up. They're very easy to implement into your day in like five minutes or less. Yeah. Like my massage therapist or osteo actually, like he did some lymphatics for me when I dislocated my knee, which was awesome. Um, and like, just to get some of the fluid and stuff out. And like, he worked up like the whole one side, like it's crazy. First of all, how much I peed after. Oh my goodness. That was wild. Um, but like the bloating and how much better I felt and less inflamed was insanity. So honestly, like getting that done every once in a while can be really helpful. And then doing like the maintenance with the dry brushing and stuff and like the self lymphatics is so helpful. Like it sounds, it sounds insane. Um, but I'm a huge like health, body, nutrition, all the things I've tried, I've tried basically everything, honestly. And like, that was the first time that I had got it done. I was just like, oh my goodness. Like my left leg visibly looks smaller than my right. This is insane. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is crazy. And like the sciencey part that helps me to understand it is like all of this massage, the drainage, the dry brushing, like they're helping to improve our blood flow mm -hmm. and our blood flow is going to move things through our body faster. And that's going to help all these processes that we've been talking about, like, like, toxins eliminating from our body through bowel movements, through urine, through sweat, through whatever it is, like it's going to help all these things happen faster and with more potency. And in, in, I guess that's like a good word of like, you have potent excretions coming out of you, <laughs> like get those yeah. toxins out as fast as you can. Um, but they really do make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Another thing that is not necessarily something that all of us could do all the time, but if you have the ability to do so, pay attention to what kind of foods you are eating. So eating organic, eating grass fed and finished, um, wild caught, free range, pasture raised and locally grown. If you can do that as often as possible, it does make a difference. Um, and again, I know it's not always possible for everybody. It's not possible for me to do all the time and I'm aware of it. Um, but if and when you do have the luxury of shopping for groceries in this way, it is so incredibly beneficial for our body, especially in regards to detoxing because we're avoiding adding more toxins in. Um, a recent like obsession of mine is cleaning up your products because as Steph mentioned earlier, we just live in a toxic world and so many of the products that we use every single day that we put on our skin, that we put in our mouths, that we wear as makeup, whatever it is, cleaning products, they're full of chemicals and ingredients that can actually be very harmful to our bodies. And so over time, progressively or yeah, progressively reducing the number of toxic products that you have and replacing them with non-toxic products is something that can be really, really helpful. It's not a fast process. Like you're not going to notice it in an instant, but like over the years, you're going to notice a big difference. So one of my favorite resources to find these products is the Environmental Working Group. So you can go to their website. I think it's just ewg.com, but you can also just Google Environmental Working Group and see where your current products fall. You can do a little search on there. Um, it will show you which ingredients in your products are like red versus green or EWG approved. Um, it's a little shocking the first time you do it, but um, at least personally, I've had like a lot of fun trying to find new products for myself and for like cleaning products and laundry detergent and things like that. So um, that is something that takes time. It's more of like, a, I'm running out of laundry detergent. Let me look for a less to toxic option to buy next. Not like I'm going to get rid of every single product in my house and replace them with non-toxic non products because 
A, that's unrealistic. B, that's really pricey. Don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) And then the last thing is a gallstone flush. So this is definitely a more in-depth and intense kind of uncomfortable process. Um, Some people claim it doesn't work, but there are some like case studies where people have totally eliminated their gallstones and avoided surgery. So there's like two sides of this situation here. Um, I personally have done a gallstone flush and whether it works or not, I felt so much better afterwards. Um, My digestion was improved. I had more energy, not just like right after, but for weeks to follow. Um, So in that way, like I'll take it, even if like there's not 100% evidence to show that it works. Um, So yeah, there are lots of different ways to detox our bodies and just like generally paying attention to what you're putting into your body, what you're using around your body, around your houses. Candles are a big one too. Air fresheners, unfortunately. Um, Those are things that can over time make a major, major, major difference in how our body functions and is able to detox. Yeah. So I know that was a ton of information today. Um, We will put some stuff in the show notes, like the test and stuff like that. I'm sure we're going to come out with a guide at some point with the gallbladder stuff. Um, All of our guides are in our Facebook community. Um, There are guides on literally all hormone options, all hormonal imbalances, ways to approach fat loss, reverse dieting, um, digestive health, mental health, how menopause affects your brain, all of these things. So if you do want copies of all those guides and past trainings. We do webinars every week. Make sure that you go to our Facebook community. It's free and there's a ton of resources in there. We'll even help you calculate your calorie intake for free as well. Um, So make sure you go there. If you found this helpful and you know people who have struggled with their gallbladder or have had it removed or are having some of these symptoms and you're thinking that they could potentially be having gallbladder issues, just share this episode. It helps us so much and it's going to help other people as well. Um, But in summary, to wrap it up, fat is not bad for you. In fact, it's actually necessary, especially our omega-3s and 6s. If you have a gallbladder or not, supporting healthy bile production is key for making sure you're not having any weight loss resistance issues, for your digestive health, to feel good, to look good, absorb things, all that kind of stuff. We not only have to be able to break down and absorb fats, we have to eat them, but also be able to absorb and break them down. Um, And a healthy gut is going to make weight loss and weight maintenance so much easier. If we're not addressing your gut health and your hormones that come with that, you're kind of hooped. Like we need to focus on improving those things. No amount of cutting calories is going to cause you to like get to where you want to be. Plus, you're not going to feel good. Let's face it. So there are a ton of steps that you can do to support your body after gallbladder removal. As you've heard from this podcast, there's a ton of options. So try and focus on just one for now and start moving through those. If you can focus on like your water, the alcohol and fiber, those are huge ones that can really benefit you. Um, You don't have to give up fatty or greasy foods if you have your gallbladder removed. It's not necessary. You just have to be able to work around it and understand how to support digestion as best as you can. You can take charge and make a difference in the health of your gallbladder and your bile production if you do not have a gallbladder. There is so much that you can do. So I know this was like a lot of bad news at the beginning, but hopefully you're feeling a little bit better now and have been able to take this some stuff away from this. And again, send this to someone that's dealing with gallbladder issues or have had it removed. There's a ton of information in our show notes. Coach Hannah is our gut health specialist connoisseur on our team. She is absolutely amazing. So if you have questions on wanting to work with her, again, you can always reach out. 
Um, and again, thank you, Hannah, so much for being on. And we'll do this again soon. Yes, thank you so much. This was great. Bye.